and uh, hope that you will enjoy your visit here at Community Baptist Church. And if you're in search of a good church home, uh, we certainly hope that you'll consider us. Uh, I know California's a long drive, but we'd love to have you every week, So, uh, as well as some of our other visitors. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Joel. We're actually uh, going to be doing a special message in lieu of uh, this week being the 4th of July. We're actually uh, going to be participating in a national service today. There is a movement that is taking place this very morning in churches all across America. And it's entitled, Call to Fall. Call to Fall. And it's based on 2 Chronicles 7, 13, and 14. And we'll be looking at that passage a little later. But this is a message that is being heard throughout other churches today. So today is going to be different from the normal, typical Community Baptist Church service. But I hope that you will be attentive because I believe this is a God-ordained movement. I believe this is a God-ordained call to those people who name the name of Christ as their Lord and Savior. Our nation is in trouble. We are in bad shape. This message will be very somber in its tone. This message will be very hard-hitting, straightforward, because this is the exact message that America needs to hear. In church, it starts with us. Pray for me as I I attempt to deliver the message that um, God has brought today that it will be done in His power and His strength, and that we will respond accordingly. Billy Graham, most famous evangelist, world-renowned, has written this, Dear Praying Friends, During six decades of worldwide ministry, Dr. Billy Graham spoke of God's judgment and mercy. Modern America now openly defies God's law and is experiencing the pangs of His judgment. The Scripture record in our own history hold out hope for God We hold out hope for God-sent revival, awakening, and reformation. But time is short. Graham writes, God still judges nations for their sins. Just as He still judges individuals. The Bible's clear you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Numbers 32, 23. 
God hasn't changed over the centuries. He is holy. And He is pure. And whenever we scorn Him, we run the risk of incurring His judgment. Sin is an offense to Him. Sin is a deliberate denial of God and His will for our lives. When we sin, we deliberately turn our backs on God and say our way is better than His. But we are wrong. And eventually, we will pay the price. The Bible warns that the wages of sin is death. The same is true of a nation that rejects God. When ancient Israel turned against God, the prophets warned that God's judgment would eventually come upon them. And it did. But God also warned that the surrounding nations would be judged too because they had no regard for God, and they were. Sometimes it happens in our great catastrophe. Sometimes it it happens in a series of smaller disasters and defeats, but it happens. How long can a nation scorn God before He brings judgment upon them? Only God knows the answer, but His patience has limits. Pray for our nation that God will bring us back to Himself before it is too late. And let it begin with you. As you turn to Christ in repentance and faith, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. It's true. I I sense an urgency. I don't know if you sense an urgency, but I sense an urgency that we are literally on the brink of judgment upon this country like has never been experienced here before. And I don't know. Listen, I don't claim to be a prophet. Uh, I know what the Word of God says. And I do know that uh, prior nations that have taken the same course, the same road that we are on, when they do not turn in repentance, judgment does come. Sometimes that judgment does come in small steps. Sometimes it comes in one foul swoop. And they're done. America's in bad shape. We are in desperate days. Yes, it's great to be patriotic, and yes, it's great to love our country, but folks, greater should be our love for the kingdom of God. Greater should be that love for our Lord and our Savior who died upon a cross at Calvary for our sins, that we could experience true freedom. In the book of Joel, we see in the nation of Israel such a time. 
Notice, if you would, in the text as I read through chapter 1, and we'll just talk on a couple of, of points. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel, Hear this, you elders. Listen, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days? Or in the days of your ancestors? Tell your children about it. And let your children tell their children. And their children the next generation. What the devouring locusts have left, the swarming locusts has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the young locust has eaten. And what the young locust has left, the destroying locust has eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Well, all you wine drinkers, because of the sweet wine, for it has been taken from your mouth. For a nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. Its teeth are, are, are the teeth of a lion, and it has the fangs of a, of a lioness. It has devastated my grapevine and, and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off its bark and thrown it away. Its branches have, have turned white. Grieve. Grieve like a young woman dressed in sackcloth, mourning for the husband of her youth. Grain and drink offerings have been cut off from the house of the Lord. The, the priests who are ministers of the Lord mourn. The fields are destroyed. The lands grieves. And, and indeed, the grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up. And the olive oil fails. Be ashamed, you farmers. Well... You vine dressers over the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field has perished. The grapevine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the date palm and the apple, all the trees of the orchard have withered. Indeed, human joy has dried up. Dress in sackcloth and lament, you priests. Well, you ministers of the altar, come and spend the night in sackcloth, you ministers of my God, because grain and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Announce a sacred fee, a sacred fast. Proclaim an assembly. Gather the elders and all the residents of the land at the house of the Lord your God and cry out. To the Lord. Woe because of that day. For the day of the Lord is near and will come as devastation from the Almighty. Hasn't the food been cut off before your eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of your God? The seeds lie shriveled in the castings. The storehouses are in ruin. And the granaries are, are broken down because the grain has withered away. How the animals groan. The herds of, of cattle wander in confusion since they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. I call you. I call to you, Lord. For fire has consumed the pastures of the wilderness, and flames have devoured all the trees of the countryside. Even the wild animals cry out to you. 
for the river beds are dried up and fire has consumed the pastures of the wilderness. Father, have your will and your way here today. This is your church. These are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. We thank you. In Jesus' name. You know, Second Chronicles 7 through 13 and 14, it's been said that basically that's a, that's a, a summary, if you will. That's a, Joel is the book form. It's a recipe for us. It tells us uh, certain parallels between what Joel describes, what Israel faced in the day of Solomon in 2 Chronicles, and it parallels a lot with what America is experiencing today. No, we're not an uh, agrarian society uh, where you know, we're dependent upon the farms. But think about this. In this text we read, swarms of locusts had devoured the produce of the land, leaving the people unable to even provide the grain and drink offerings. While no longer an agrarian society, we are seeing the vulnerability of our marketplace. Think about how our economy is doing. Think about how we're suffering today. Think about the, the, what we have set up for ourselves and how it's being systematically broken down. You know, like ancient Israel, we find ourselves in a critical situation that's not unlike what we find in 2 Chronicles 7.13, which, by the way, 2 Chronicles 13.14, some of you recognize this passage as I say it. If my people called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, if they will seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. Consequently, the prescription for the Hebrew people we find in 2 Chronicles 7.14 and in the book of Joel contains the enduring principles that if we will follow them, could produce the same effect in our country, in our churches, in our country, in our lives. So let's take a look at this passage. Let's look at it a a little closer this morning. And I want to hit just four things. The hurt, the heart, the how, and the hope. Notice first the hurt, the hurt. The prophet Joel opens his discourse with the people by asking a rhetorical question that reveals the depths of the hurt the people were experiencing as a result of their rejection of God and His ways. Notice what he says. Has anything like this, the destruction, has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? The answer was no. They never experienced anything like this before. And you see his, his uh, digression of even the, you know, the, the locusts, 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 locusts are eating everything. I mean, it's, there's nothing left. You talk about decimation and destruction. They were experiencing a unique plague that was the result of the Lord's judgment upon them. The result of these four waves of locusts, whether, you know, some would say it's, it's, it's figurative. I think an application to America it is. I think it's literal there. But think about it. 
We've got locusts, if you will, uh, of the spiritual sort that doesn't matter what we do in America. It just seems that we can't get traction. We can't get ahead. Why? Well, I know why. We've turned our back on our God. We've forsaken His way. Each man has done that which is right in his own sight. We went through the book of Judges. Think about what happened in the book of Judges. We're repeating the things that have happened in the past. That the nation Israel's already walked down that road. Have we not learned anything? We as a nation are on this road and yet we see the locusts devouring and destroying uh, all around us. Our homes, our families are being systematically torn down. Society is run amok with sin and filth. We fund abortion because we pay taxes. I mean, there's so much that's going on in this nation And we as God's people have grown apathetic, complacent, comfortable in our sin. It's like the people of Israel. It would appear that uh, the economy was doing well here in Joel's time. Why do I say that? Because Joel Joel calls for the drunkards to sober up and weep for the drinkers of wine to well because their supply was cut off. What does that mean? Let me tell you what it means for us. Wake up, drunkards. Wake up. Sober up, you wine drinkers. Me and you are intoxicated with the things of this country. We have been inebriated with the comforts, the materialism, the the entertainment driven. We are drunk with the things of this world so that we're not sober-minded in the things of God. Is that wrong? I mean, am I wrong on this? Or if we're honest with ourselves, if we will reflect upon our own lives, and look, I gotta start here before I can go there, and I'm gonna stay here for a while because you know what? I've been pretty drunk lately in the things of God. And I'm sorry, in, in the things of the world. I need to be drunk in the things of God, amen? But aren't we all like this? Weren't the people of Israel like this? This is what Joel's saying. He, look, you know, this, these were staples. Of, these were the, for, for this time period, for these people, the, the grain, the, the agriculture, the cattle, all, this was their livelihood. And no, they didn't exactly have, uh, I almost said Pepsi product, but a Coke product. So if they would have Pepsi products, they would have really been dying of thirst. Uh, how's that one for you, Randall? My Coke man over there. But these people, they, they, they drank uh, wine. And, and, and so, again, his point here is we get to a place where comfort does us in. And that's the case here. It had gotten... To a place, the result was a uh, cessation of of the grain and drink offering in in 9 through 12. You see that there. And it's of of particular interest because 
Um, there's no indication that the burnt offering ceased in, in this text in Joel, which were uh, the offerings made to atone for their sin. The burnt offerings didn't seem to have ceased. The blood offerings did not involve the contribution of man. It was the animal whose blood was spilled for the remission of sin. The grain offering was different. It involved man. It was a sacrificial offering. Since grain was limited in supply and the type of flowers was to be fine, which required work on the part of the one making the sacrifice, additionally, the grain offering was where the priests found their provision. Leviticus 2, 2 through 2-3. The grain offering was also worship of God acknowledging dependence upon Him for their physical needs and their spiritual guidance. They were going through the motions with their religious practices to God, but their heart was not towards Him. Notice. Joel chapter 2, what does he say? Joel chapter 2 in verse 12 and 13. Listen to these words in that passage. Even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in faithful love, and He relents from sending disaster. Do you hear that, church? It's not about just going through the motions. You look good this morning. You look beautiful on Sunday morning. Praise the Lord. Don't just... Tear and rent the garment before God. Let the heart be torn. Let us be broken in spirit before a holy God because this is the only thing that can redeem this man. This is the only thing that can redeem this country is a broken and contrite heart before the Lord. True repentance. That's what he's saying to the people in Joel's day. Notice the hearts. Having stated and restated their desperate and hopeless situation, Joel turns towards a hopeful solution, a change of heart, a call to repentance. Until the final judgment, there is never a situation in which God leaves us without hope, without promise, without possibility of turning back the judgment of God. Church, this morning, we have an opportunity. We are sitting under the preaching of God's Word, God's truth, and the Spirit of God is moving upon hearts of men and women all across this nation this morning. And I believe it is a providential call to fall. I believe it is a call that we as a church, as people called by His name, will humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways. But the clock is ticking. Will we let this opportunity pass 
and continue in our inebriation of the things of this world until judgment comes full force. Am I, do I need to remind you? Judgment begins at the house of God. But it's up to the people to return to God's mercy and forgiveness and away from the path that leads to judgment. Joel now gives a word of hope from the Lord. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great of kindness. He relents from doing harm. This return to God begins with personal repentance. Personal repentance. I don't care what your wife does, your husband does, your child does, your parents do. This is personal repentance. You have a personal responsibility before a holy God to repent. I have a personal responsibility before a holy God to repent. This return to God begins with personal repentance. In our hearts, we must be sorry for our sins and the fact that we have offended God. Psalm 51, 4 says this, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. We have offended a holy God. Well, what does a repentant heart look like? A repentant... And remorseful heart does not rationalize. It does not rationalize personal sin away by comparing it to what may appear to be the more vile sin in others. Oh, well, you know, at least I don't do like they do. Oh, my neighbors, they're, they're terrible. Well, I'm glad I'm not like those people, politicians up in, in the government. Now, they're just plain wicked. Well, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't do like uh, this guy at work does. Oh man, if that was my child. Real easy to look at the shortcomings of other folks around you and ignore the shortcomings in my own life, huh? Personal repentance. I can't rationalize my... Well, hey, I'm not doing anything, but I'm not hurting anybody. You're rationalizing your sin. Well, there's nothing wrong with watching Magic Mike. What if it were Magic Michelle? Ladies, you like your guys going to see that? I mean, this is the filth church people are talking about on the Internet. And if some of you have gone and seen it, shame on you. And I don't mind saying it out loud. Shame on you. It's sinful. And yet this is what we're entertaining ourselves with. And then we're talking about it. The church is the bride of Christ and we are so spotted in the world and God forgive us and we need desperately personal repentance. I meddled right there, but that's all right. Thank you, Lord. Y'all come to my house and meddle with me too, all right? That's fine. I need it. We all need it. We don't rationalize personal sin away by comparing it, what may appear to be uh, the more vile, but rather it realizes the contribution it has made to the corporate guilt. 
What, what, what part do you have in this corporate guilt? I know what part I have. What part do you have? A repentant and remorseful heart assumes responsibility. A repentant and remorseful heart is humbled before God. Manifesting the remorse through fasting, weeping, and mourning. Did you see? That's what Joel called them to do. That's what the Lord called them to do. That takes humbling. I have to be willing to humble myself if I'm going to fast. I'm giving up something. Because my relationship with my Creator is far more important than than even that which helps me to live. If I need to forsake that for a season, for a time, so that I can draw closer to the Lord, so be it. Joel cautions that this is not to be just an outward ritual or show. Rather, it is to be an act of the heart. You want more on that, you can look up Matthew 6, 5 through 7. I won't turn there. I'm going to move forward. Look at point three, the how. Joel moves on to the how of returning to the Lord. How do we return to the Lord? You know, this is a message being preached. How do we return to the Lord? Scripture bears witness to the fact that it is the humble who will experience the grace and mercy of God. Proverbs 3, 3 through 4, James 4, 10, 1 Peter 5, 5. These are passages that reference that. Joel calls for the people to humble themselves through a universal fast and sacred assembly on behalf of the nation, and that has gone terribly astray. The nation of Israel had gone terribly astray, And so this is why they're corporately agreeing we need to do this. Church, we need to corporately agree we need to do this. It's time to lay down those sins. It's time to turn our back. It's time to sober up. It's time to awaken to the things of God and repent or we will experience the judgment of God fall heavily upon this nation. Because to him who's been given much, much is required. Joel calls for the people to humble themselves. This call from the prophet is for God's people to take the initiative just as they are called to do in that Second Chronicles 7.14. While the government structure is much different between Israel and our own form of government today, there are principles here that we can learn from. And if we desire the blessings and prosperity of God, then it applies. This call went out, not from the government, but from the church, if you will, from believers, not from politicians, but from the priests, from the preachers. The priests were to lead the way by weeping at the altar of God. They could no longer offer the grain and drink offerings to the Lord, so in their place was the offering of tears. Church, pray that your pastor will lead the way in this. That I will be broken in spirit before the Lord. That I will be humble that I will be the man of God He calls me to be, that I might lead you in this repentance. 
The priests were to lead the way. With hearts wounded by their sin and alienation from God, they were to go before the altar on bended knee. When we get ready to close this service this morning, all across America, Call to Fall is asking for us to respond. And I think it's a a biblical call for us to respond. To fall upon our knees for five minutes this morning as we close and pour our hearts out before a holy God. Confessing our sin. Turning from our sin. And calling upon a gracious God to have mercy and to help us and to heal this land. Here's what they were to say to the Lord. It was scripted for them by God through Joel. Quote, Spare your people, O Lord. And do not give your heritage to reproach that the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the people, among the nations, where is their God? Yes, America may not be the Christian nation that it should be, but we still carry that name. And I can tell you, if America falls, the nations will resound. Ha! Where's their God? And this is what the people of Israel, uh, this is what the Lord spoke through Joel. Listen, this is not for us or for our benefit. This is for God's glory. This is about His namesake. We are representatives of who He is. Therefore, we need to be holy, for He is holy. It was all about God. It's not about the people. As important as people and our needs are before God, it's about Him and His reputation. If we want God's attention, we must appeal to Him about His reputation. This is how Abraham approached God on behalf of Sodom. Think about this. When he approached God on behalf of Sodom, quote, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Genesis 18.25 it is how Moses interceded for the fledging nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 9, 26-28. Quote, Lest the land from which you brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them to the land which He promised them, and because He hated them, He's brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. God, did you allow us to raise up as a nation for your name's sake? only to be be squished in judgment, that others would see the quote-unquote Christian nation and where is their God? Or did God raise us up to be the city on a hill, to be the light and the hope to this world that He called us to be for His namesake? The last point is the hope. God's zeal to punish will be turned into a zealous display of mercy, protection, and provision in 3, 18 through 27. And we won't go through that, but when you get home, read this and see what He did with Israel. Man's relationship with God has implications for all of creation. Not only were the people of Israel suffering, but so were the animals and the crops. If the people will yield to the call of God to repent, the benefits of that obedience will accrue to the land. 
Verse 21. The beast of the field and plant life. Verse 22 as well. The promise here is not only to the, to end the destruction that is taking place, but restore what the locusts have eaten. Verse 25. This is a passage of great hope and encouragement. Here are a people who are so bad cut off, these people are so bad off that they cannot even offer the grain and drink offerings to God. Which is something they prided themselves in. Because they had no grain or or no wine. The very necessities of life were gone. That entire situation would be turned around to the point that they, quote, shall eat plenty and be satisfied. That's a transformation. That's a change. And their entire country stabilized by the presence of God if they would simply repent and turn back to God. Talk about an offer. This promise was not isolated to Israel in the day of Joel. It was the same offer to the people in Solomon's day in 2 Chronicles 7.14. This is a promise based upon the character of God and it's extended to us today. And I can't think of any clearer example of that than in His offer of forgiveness. And that offers to all who will. Whosoever will, let him come. Let him come. You see, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Whosoever shall believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But I've got to be willing to to confess that I'm a sinner that I've done wrong, that I'm rebellious in heart towards a holy God, and I've got to be willing to turn to Him and ask for that forgiveness. I've got to be willing to humble myself to receive the grace that He's offering. If you've never done that this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to receive from God, not judgment, but forgiveness. Not to receive condemnation, but grace. You see, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And that's a promise. God wants to give you that grace. He has already demonstrated His love for you that while we were still in our sins, Christ died on a cross at Calvary for us. And He rose again. Third day. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Church, for those of us who've received that grace, for those of us who've had our names written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, we know that we have eternal life. It's time to awake. It's time to sober up. It's time to start being the people God has called us to be. And it starts here personally. And I don't know what that looks like in your own personal life, but in just a moment, you're going to have time to just enter into the throne room of grace and pray and ask God to reveal to your heart, to your soul, what you need to do in response to the Holy Spirit of God and to the Word of God. And then I want to implore you to surrender, to be obedient, 
to give up all, to yield your entire life in every aspect of it, and let Jesus Christ truly be your Lord. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people... Are you His people? You see, this isn't... If the wicked nation America, if the sinner, if the lost man, if the guy that runs the uh, juke joint in the beer place... No, it's saying, if my people... Those who claim to be Christian, those who claim to know God, if my people who are called by my name. You see, now Israel was called by his name in the Old Testament. We are his people in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, the church. We are people called by his name. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are called by his name. If my people called by my name will, number one, humble themselves... Two, pray. God has given us the the recipe. He's given us the steps. Humble ourselves. Number two, pray. Three, seek my face. Seek my face. And turn. From their wicked ways. What are your wicked ways? Are you rationalizing because you're not as bad as that person? And I don't drink, chew, and go with girls that do. I'm better than that. Wow. Maybe pride is the sin, the wicked heart that you have. If we turn from our wicked ways, the result, the result of those called by His name humbling themselves, praying and seeking their seeking His face and turning from His from their wicked ways. Here's the result. Then, 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 then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Church, today you and I have a choice. We hold the key to revival. We hold the key to this land being healed. Because you and me are people called by His name. Will you join me for the next five minutes upon your knees, either at your pew, at this altar? If you're physically unable, if you would just, your head upon the pew. But church, this is where it, this is where it starts. But when we go out these doors, we go out these doors in a new direction, in a new attitude of heart and a new humbleness before the Lord, seeking His face. That's proactive.
And repentance is something you and me daily, daily we're going to have to do. We've got to turn from our wicked ways. And God will do His part. He will do His part. Let's pray. After five minutes of prayer, I will close it out. Let's pray.